welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Ramsey Heights. I'm so excited that you've come to join us once again for our online services. You, you may notice that we're not actually able to be outdoors today like we have been for about the past seven weeks, but that's okay because this is all coming to an end. Next week, we're going to get to be back in person here in the church building, gathering and worshiping together in as normal of a way as we can. So I'm excited for that. If you have been joining us online and you don't have a church family, you're in the Batesville area, we want you to come join us. If you have liked our messages online, you will love gathering with us in person. So if you don't have a church home, we really would love to see you at Ramsey Heights. For the rest of you, maybe you're not from this com- this area close enough to commute to Ramsey Heights, or you have a church home, but you've really enjoyed our messages, we're going to continue to make those available to you for pretty much forever. Our YouTube channel will have our messages each week as well as our podcast that will still be going on and you're welcome to find those. I will give you this warning though, we won't be able to have those up on Sunday like we have in the past. Those messages will be up Monday because we are recording them live on Sunday and it takes some time to edit and upload those. But I really hope if you've been blessed by the ministry of Ramsey Heights here that we can continue to provide those resources for you and they will continue to influence your life and help you out on your next steps on your journey with God. Now, if you'd like to join us today, we're going to be in Romans chapter 3. We are starting a new series. It's going to be a short series for about three weeks called Fixer Upper. Now, if you're not familiar with the term Fixer Upper, it it refers to a house that is a little bit run down, but it can be bought and fixed up and made into a really nice house. So the ideal that is if if you were buying a house, and let's say you had a budget of, say, $100,000, you could go buy a relatively new house in that budget for $100,000, or you could get an older home with a little bit of character that had some problems for, say, $50,000, and then you would have that extra money, the difference, in this case, 50 extra thousand dollars, to fix up the house like you want it. And a lot of times, a fixer-upper house is actually nicer than what you can buy brand new. This idea became very popular when the show Fixer Upper came out. It stars Chip and Joanna Gaines, a husband and wife duo. Chip is the uh, contractor. He goes in and rebuilds the house, and Joanna, she designs the house. And the whole show rotates around the ideal of them taking a family, finding an older house they like, and then fixing this up and making it a dream home for that family. Now, as I think about this concept of a fixer-upper, something that is broken down and old and in need of repair, and it being restored, it, it just really got on my heart that that is what God does with us. He takes broken down people who need to be restored and he changes their life and he makes something beautiful out of them. And that's why this message series is called Fixer Upper because we are God's Fixer Upper projects that he is continually working on to take from something old, worn out, and broken down and make something beautiful out of us. Now the first step to a fixer upper is you have to admit that that house needs a little work. My favorite line from the show, from the intro of the show, Chip Gaines says, we find the worst house in the best neighborhood. And so when we look in the mirror today, we need to look in the mirror and admit this house needs a little bit of repair. We need to be fixed up. And that's why this message this morning is called The Worst House. 
So what does it mean that we are the worst house? It just simply means that we are in need of being restored. We're not what we once were. We're not what God created us to be way back when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. We have found a way to break ourselves down and to ruin our existence. Listen to what the Bible says. This is Romans chapter 3. Read verse 10 with me. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Now listen to that very carefully. None righteous. Let's focus on that first word, none. As we read this verse and the next few verses, the scripture has a lot of totality to what it says. It's going to say none. It's going to repeat itself and say no, not one. It's going to continue to say all when it says that we're all broken. There is this concept that every single human being, all of us, me, you, the person next door, the people sitting on the couch with you, we are broken down houses that are in need of restoration. And the reason is, is we fail to be righteous. There is none righteous. Well, that word righteous means to be morally right or justifiable. And so what the Bible tells us is that you and I, not a single one of us, are morally right. Not a single one of us of our own merits are justifiable. This particular scripture right here was written in answer to um, some Jewish people who were experiment or not experimenting, learning the religion of Christianity, learning God's grace. And the problem that had to be broken down with Jews is they had developed their own sense of morality. See, the Jews had a lot of rules and customs that set them apart from the rest of the world. And it didn't take long for that to sink in to where they thought, what makes me righteous is my own morality. I found ways to follow these rules, and so that's what makes me righteous before God. That's what makes me morally right. But the author of this writes this to say there are none righteous. There is no sense of morality that is going to make you better. Nothing that you are going to do, no set of rules that you come up with is going to make you moral. You may be watching this and thinking, well, Brian, I'm not a Jew. I don't have these rules and regulations of a rigid old religious system that, that teaches me how to be moral, and so this doesn't apply to me. But the truth is, every last one of us develops our own sense of morality. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, yes, I do that, but I would never steal. Or, yeah, I did that, but I've never killed. I never lie. See, we come up with these rules that may or may not be actually moral rules, and we try to justify ourselves by saying, these are the important rules, and these are the ones that I follow. You will never find on the face of this earth a person who walks around and says, I do every single thing wrong. They will always come up with a qualifier. Well, yes, I, I live this lifestyle, but I know better than to do X, Y, and Z. So this is a lie that has continued throughout mankind, is that we can develop our own morals and we make our own rules, and usually those rules are in comparison. I, I may have messed up here, but at least I'm not like that person. Look at how bad they are. I must be pretty morally right. But the Bible is complete and it says that there are none morally right. There are none righteous. There are none justifiable. Now, to make sure this point is clear, the next several verses explain how we miss righteousness in God's eyes. What are the things that we do that keep us from being righteous? Well, it really breaks down to two particular ideals. And the first one is we refuse to acknowledge that God is God. Listen to what verses 11 and 12 say, still in chapter 3 here, talking about um, us, talking about people. There are none righteous, verse 11. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. 
They are altogether become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Look at those words again, none and all, nobody, no, not one. So we fail to be righteous because we um, do not acknowledge that God is God. The Bible says we do not understand or seek God. So this brings a question up. Why, why don't we seek God? What keeps us from seeking after God? If you've spent any time at church, if you've, if you've read the Bible at all, you know that God is amazing in every way. He is, he is to be loved. He is to be admired. He is to be worshipped. But that's not natural for us. It's something we have to learn to do as we experience the goodness of God. So why don't we seek God? Well, the answer is in Genesis chapter 3. The more I study the Bible, the more I think that Genesis chapter 3 is one of the most important chapters in the Bible to understand, to understand what God is doing. In Genesis chapter 3, you see the story of Adam and Eve. And you know the story. Adam and Eve are in the garden. Everything is perfect. God says, eat of everything except for that one tree. And Eve gets tempted by Satan in the form of a snake, comes to her and lies to her. She eats, she gives to Adam, and we get kicked out of the garden of Eden. We all fall into sin. You know the story. But, but let's get a little bit deeper in the story. What tempted Eve to disobey God? What tempted Eve to seek something besides God? Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, you'll see that the serpent tells her two different lies. Number one, he says that God has lied to her. You shall not surely die, which we know is not the truth. But secondly, she, he tells her, God is scared that if you eat this, you will be like God's, knowing good and evil. And so the temptation for Eve and the temptation for all of us is that we get to be our own God. That's our natural state, and that's what keeps us from seeking God, is we get to be our own God. We make our own rules. We get to be in control of our own lives. When he said, you will be like God's knowing good from evil, what does that sound like? You will get to decide the rules of your own morality. That's the temptation that got Eve to fall away from God and then caused Adam and Eve to fall away from God. And it's the temptation that takes us away from God today. We fail to seek God because we want to be our own God. I'll admit to you, as a Christian and as a pastor, I oftentimes want to be my own God. I want to be in control of my own life. And sometimes it's as simple as what I want to preach or teach on, what I want to do, how I want to live my life. And God says, Brian, that's not how I want you to do it. And I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of times I really struggle to let go of my own, my own wants and my own desires. And the truth of it is, if you've tried to follow God at all, You've had the same problem. You know God wants you to do or to not do something, but you have such a hard time giving up control of that because at the base of every human heart, we want to be our own God. We want to make our own rules. We want to be in control. This is a lie that has continued throughout eternity, and it will continue. And because we want to be our own gods, we don't seek God. Because we don't seek God, it says, all have gone out of the way. Well, if you remember last week, Jesus taught us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus laid out a very simple concept that there is one way to God. And because we seek to be our own God, we have gone out of that way. We continue to follow our own, our own paths instead of the path God lays out for us in Jesus Christ. Those two don't go together. You can't be on your own path 
and on the path God has for you at the same time. And so we fall a little farther away from seeking God. And what this tells us in the end is that this makes us make our own morality and basically we live an unprofitable or a useless life, making useless rules that don't matter in the light of eternity. See, we are in competition with God for control of our own lives. And that's natural. You're born that way from the second that you enter this world. We are in competition with God for who is going to control our lives. Now, if you do become a Christian, if you are a Christian, you soon learn how awesome it is and how sweet it is to let God have control of your life. But even Christians fade back again and again, trying to put ourselves in control. Secondly, the way that we miss righteousness is we fail to love what God loves. We fail to love what God loves. What does God love most? Is it shiny church buildings? Is it mountains and oceans? Is it this creation? None of those things is what God loves most. God loves most people. You and me, your neighbors, and the people you drive past on the road. God loves people the most, and you and I fail to love people. Listen to what it says. Let's try to break down the next few verses. Verse 13. It says, Their throat, this is talking about us, their throat is an open sepulcher. That means grave. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This describes us. And you might say, well, Brian, I don't know if that describes me. I'm not swift to shed blood. There's not destruction in my ways. Well, the Bible says that there is. And let's see if we can figure out exactly what this means. If God loves people the most, we should love people the most, too, to adhere to God's standards of morality. But we fail to do that, and it proves it with what we say. This is what the Scripture says. Listen to what it says. It talks about our throat, our tongue, and our lips. What do we use those for? Well, that's how we speak, isn't it? That's how we talk. And the things that we come out or that come out of our mouth, the Bible compares to number one, an open grave, an open sepulcher, an open grave. Now, the concept behind this is not a hole in the ground that nobody's been buried in. It's a grave with a body laying in it that has never been covered up. And the stench of death is absolutely horrible from an open grave. And so the Bible compares to what comes out of our mouth as the stench of death. It then talks about the poison of asps, another sense of death. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, Brian, okay, so I've said some bad things. I've talked bad about people. Maybe I've gossiped. Maybe I've even lied about someone. I run them down when, I, when they're not around. Um, I talk bad about them behind their back. Does that really mean that I have missed God's morality? Well, yes, absolutely. Because the Bible is clear that what comes out of your mouth is a reflection of what's in your heart. And so if we have the stench of death coming out of our mouth, what it tells us is that is the, the ugliness and the bitterness and the nastiness of our own heart. See, we cannot claim to love what God loves and continually tear down people. We cannot claim to love what God loves and, and have a heart that is jealous and a heart that hates and a heart that wants to tear down people's character to other people. It then says that our feet are swift to shed blood and the destruction is in our ways. See, what comes out of our mouth is a symptom of a bad heart. 
And soon, in every human, what's in our heart will transcend just words. We, we will turn and try to stab people in the back figuratively. And it turns eventually into violence. Have you noticed that we live in a very violent world? That there's fights, there's beatings, there's murders. Every single day, we find a way to hate other people so much that we shed blood. And it's just part of our nature. If you look at even how our countries react, if you look at our militaries, and think about how much focus we put on military. And I'm not saying that military is a bad thing. But, but think about how much focus we put as a human race on the different militaries of the world. I looked up the numbers. In 2020, the combined budgets of the world's militaries, every country in the world, is $1,917 billion. That, that's how much money we as the human race spend on fighting each other over land and resources and ideologies. We're, we're preparing weapons that shed blood because we have that in our ways. Destruction is in our ways. To put that number into perspective for you, it would take only $528 billion to feed every human on earth a sustainable diet for the same year. What I'm trying to tell you is that we spend nearly four times as much on means of destruction of human beings as it would take to care for every single human being on earth in a world where we know people are starving to death and don't have clean water. See, we as a human race, we are swift to destroy others. We are swift to shed blood, and destruction is in our ways. And that has been the history of mankind since the beginning of time, since Cain first slew Abel. We have found ways to destroy other people, other, other humans. And so we fail to love people the way that God loves people. And so here we have it laid out. Two things the Bible tells us that we fail to be righteous in. We fail to acknowledge that God is God. We, we, we compete with him for control of our own life. And we fail to love what God loves. You're saying, well, Brian, that doesn't sound that bad. Maybe that's true of me. I probably have a bad heart. I don't love everybody the way I should. And yes, I like control of my own life, but we tend to make our morality. I've never killed anybody. I don't steal. I don't lie. I respect people. I put my life up against anybody else's. I'm good. They're probably way worse than I am. I think I'm probably doing okay. That's our own morality speaking. And the reason that these two ideas, failing to acknowledge that God is God, and failing to love what God loves. The reason that those two things are so important is Jesus said that all of God's moral law goes around those two ideas. When Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment? He said, love the Lord God with all of your heart, and all of your soul, and all of your mind. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And he said that all of God's moral law revolves around being perfect in those two things. When we compete, with God for control of our lives. And when we fail to love what God loves, we break the two rules that God is most serious about. The two rules that every other single rule revolves around. And so we look at ourselves and we have to say, I am a broken down house in need of restoration. I, I am guilty of being immoral by God's standards. I fail him every single day. And that's why if you continue reading in Romans 3.23, it says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every last one of us has failed in both of these aspects. We have failed to love God and we have failed to love people. And that's 
all of us. Once again, the totality of that. Now, why does that matter? Well, what's the big deal about failing God? What's the big deal about failing morally God's rules? Well, if you continue to read on through Romans, you'll eventually get to chapter 6, verse 23. It tells us this, that the wages of sin is death. A couple of weeks ago, we really talked about death. We talked about that death is separation from God. Death is separation from Him now and separation from Him eternally. And so when we look in the mirror and we say, I have failed God's moral laws, I have sinned, I have disobeyed God, what we get for that is death. I, I like to put it this way. What you get for disobey, or what you earn for disobeying God is separation from God. Now, this should be weighing heavy on us that, that every human that has ever walked the earth is born in separation to God, is unrighteous by God's standards, and the penalty for being unrighteous by God's standards is separation. See, Jesus talks about a day when we're going to stand before him and he's going to judge our morality. And we may come up with arguments of how good we were and what we never did and what we did do, the money we gave away. But he tells us something I think that is the scariest verse in the Bible. He says, there's going to be a lot of people that I'm going to say to, depart from me, be separated from me, ye who commit iniquity. I never knew you. It's the scariest verse in the Bible. See, there is a promise that our disobedience will not go unnoticed by God. There is a promise that our disobedience to God will not go unpunished. Everybody has gone out of the way. Everybody has sinned. Everybody has fallen short of the glory of God. We have all failed to, uh, fail, we have all failed to acknowledge that God is God, and we have all failed to love who God loves. And the penalty for it is eternal separation. Jesus tells us that place we'll be separated to, we call it hell, is a place of weeping and crying. It's a place of loneliness because we're separated from God and from everybody else. It's a place of eternal torment. It is scary to think that the life we live is only going to point us in that direction. All of us are headed that way, no matter how good we think we are or no matter how good we are in comparison to others. But, <laughs> my favorite word in the Bible is but. Because the Bible tells us again and again, you have failed God. You deserve death. You deserve separation. But it is always followed by the word but. Even though there's more is what it means. But, and, and Romans 3.23 starts off with all have, um, uh, the wages of sin is death. But it ends with this. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, it is okay to admit that we are broken down houses. It is okay that we admit that we need restore. Because, you know what every broken house needs to make it a fixer-upper? All it needs is a carpenter who sees it not for what it is, but for what it can be. And there was a carpenter who walked the face of this earth, carpenter by trade. He had the skills to build houses. He had the skills to fix and mend and restore broken things. But he came to build a kingdom. And he came to, to restore broken people. He, he came to do something special in us. And he was willing to put in the work to 
fix us up. He was willing to restore us. See, Jesus Christ walked this earth and he lived a perfect life. And the work that it takes to restore us is that it takes somebody taking our punishment, somebody taking our death upon themselves. And Jesus Christ, who deserved no death because he never stepped out of the will of God and he never failed to love people, Jesus Christ took that punishment. He did the work because he sees in you and in me not what we are is broken down disobedient houses but what we can be and for each of us we have a decision and a choice to make what do we choose do we choose to continue to be our own God to continue to live in disobedience to God and the punishment that comes with that or do we choose to let this carpenter come in and restore us every human being is faced with that choice And if you haven't made that choice to follow Jesus Christ, today's the day. There's a punishment for our lives. But Jesus Christ came to give us life. He came to give us hope. And He came to restore us. I I hope with every bit of my heart that every person who hears this has made that decision. But if you haven't, today is the day. Today is the day to make Him your Savior. Today is the day to go to Him and say, I need to be restored. Jesus Christ, will you restore me? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, I thank you that you love us enough to come restore us. God, we are broken down houses. We are failures in every single way. But God, I I praise you that you looked at me and you looked at us. and, And you see us not for what we are, but for what we can become. God, I thank you that you're willing to put in the work to do something amazing in us. To give us something that we can never earn and to to prepare for us eternal life. Lord, we just pray that that as we continue in this series that you will open us up and you will convict us in, in your power to restore us and to make something special out of us. Lord, I love you with all of my heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. I, I hope that I get to see each of you next week. If you still don't feel safe to come into church, we're opening church up, but you do not have to feel obligated to come. I encourage you to prioritize your personal safety over gathering with us until the coast is clear. But if you are ready to be here and you are comfortable to be here, I can't wait to see you and worship with you next week. We're going to be continuing through the series, and it's going to be awesome. I hope to see you then. Have a great week.